It had been a hard, hard Sabbath. Friday was the worst day we could remember. The darkness and the anguish and the blood and then the horrible stillness. When they cut him down, we wanted to run to him. It's barely recognisable as the man we loved, the Lord we had followed. But that broken body was all we had left. So we followed him at a distance, (coughs) saw where they put him, unanointed, unembalmed, dishonoured. We went home to prepare We would do this for him if no one else would. We would fetch the spices. We would honour his body. But then the long Sabbath. The commandment said we should rest. He He wouldn't have wanted us to ignore the commandment. We stayed at home. We waited. We ached for him, for his body in the tomb. Someone said, at least Jesus is resting now. And the pious platitudes stang. And we didn't sleep, but we waited. And then it was morning. And we hurried into the garden. (coughs) We hear the Easter story so many times that I think we, knowing what is going to be the end, forget that people had to live through this had to experience the crushing loss of Jesus, the one who had given them hope. And that the women, the women um, whose voices I have just hijacked, when they went to the tomb on the Sunday morning, did not expect anything of what was going to happen next. I want to share with you two things about Easter Sunday morning. Two things that are are really very, very simple um, and utterly, utterly contradictory. But I think this is the gospel. First thing I want to tell you is this. On Easter Sunday morning, Jesus should have been in the tomb. He should have been there. I don't know if you noticed, Luke goes to great pains to make it clear to us, Jesus really was buried in this tomb. His dead, lifeless body went in there. Joseph from Arimathea came and took the body. He took it to a tomb where there was nobody else. There were no other bodies there. 
and he laid it there. And the women watched. They marked the place. They saw where he was laid. And so when they came on Sunday morning, they came to do last honours to the corpse of their one-time master. Jesus' body should have been in the tomb. They expected it to be there. They saw it go in. And behind their expectation is the assumption which is so obvious that we never need to say it. Dead people stay dead. If a corpse went into the tomb, it will stay there. When we're uh, reading a story or we're reading something and dead people don't stay dead, as a rule, that is a pretty clear sign to us that we are not in the realm of reality, that we are reading fiction. We shouldn't let the facts of the resurrection undermine that. It is still true that as a rule, dead people stay dead. And people in the first century knew that just as well as we do now. They knew it. They weren't coming to the tomb with hope. They were coming to the tomb with spices prepared to anoint a dead body, according to custom. Jesus should have been in the tomb. There's something deeper than that as well, I think. The logic of history says that Jesus should have been in the tomb. Jesus had he stayed in the tomb, could have been everything the world wanted him to be. A hero, a martyr, a great moral teacher. This is the way the world deals with its radicals. It it kills them, and then it honours them. That could have happened to Jesus. I'm sure um, amongst all of his teaching... That the bits which sounded a bit egotistic, the bit where, where it seemed like he was claiming equality with God, that would have been subtly scratched out and we would have been left with beautiful ethical teaching. We would have been left with profound parables about the love of God. Eventually, I expect, official Judaism would have reconciled itself to Jesus and he would have entered the long role of martyred prophets. Jesus could have been everything that the world wanted. In um, 2012, in his Easter address, the Prime Minister, does anybody know why the Prime Minister does an Easter address, and does anybody know if we can stop him? Um, <laughs> in, in, in his 2012 address, Easter address, the Prime Minister talked about Easter as the time when we celebrate Jesus' life, death, and living legacy. He meant to do him praise, I think. He meant to say, Jesus changed the world by his teaching and example. And if Jesus had stayed in the tomb, that sort of honour would be appropriate. If the women had gone to the tomb on Sunday morning, found the body there as it should have been, anointed him and left him to rest, then it would be perfectly appropriate for us to say, what a wonderful legacy Jesus left. 
What a great teacher he was. What an example of a life of love. He should have been in the tomb. We would have liked it that way. We would have liked it that way because great teachers are safe. Great examples are safe. I can look up to them. I can maybe try to follow them. But fundamentally, they've got no hold over me. Aristotle wrote some great ethics uh, and some also more dubious ethics. But Aristotle has no hold over me. Aristotle is dead. And if Jesus had stayed dead, if he had been in the tomb, that is how we could regard him. As great, as worthy of honor, but ultimately as somebody we could ignore if we wanted to. That's the way it is with dead heroes. Jesus should have been in the tomb. But I want to tell you a second thing. Jesus could not possibly have been in the tomb on that Sunday morning. Jesus could not have been in the tomb. I love the way the angels, if they are angels, these two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, the way they address the women, it's obviously uh, hard to read tone of voice uh, from a written account, but just the wording is fantastic. Why do you look for the living among the dead? What are you doing here? He's not here. He's risen. Duh. And they should have known, you see. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. He told you this was going to happen. He told you. He told you he would die. He told you that after three days he would rise again. What are you doing here with those spices? As if he could still be here. As if his body could still be dead in the tomb. They hadn't understood and they hadn't believed what he had told them. But if they had, they would have known. Jesus could not be in the tomb. This is what Jesus said, The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Again, Luke is at pains to put these words down for us. He actually emphasizes this again and again. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. It must happen this way. All of it has a divine necessity behind it because this was God's plan. This was the way it was always meant to happen. Oh, you are here, Mary Magdalene et al. You are here with your spices because you think something has gone wrong. And what you are seeking is closure on a sorry episode where you followed a man who turned out not to be the Messiah. That is why you are here. 
But it is not that way. This is what had to happen to the Son of Man. Good Friday was not an accident. It was good. Jesus could not be in the tomb because God's plan for him completed. He must rise again. It was all the plan. Friday's pain was the plan. Saturday's rest was the plan. And Sunday's glorious rising was the plan. This is what must happen to the Son of Man. This is how sin is defeated. This is how death is undone. This is how life is won for humanity. Jesus couldn't be in the tomb. We're not gathered here this morning to celebrate Jesus' living legacy. We're celebrating Jesus' new, eternal, immortal, unbeatable life. That is what we're here for. He is risen. I quite like Easter. I'm always slightly disappointed um, on a cloudy Easter because I feel like Easter ought to be sunny. Um, in, in all the scenes where the women go to the tomb, it's never a little bit overcast. <laughs> but fundamentally, it doesn't matter because a much more important sun has risen on Easter Sunday morning. It may be overcast now, but Jesus is alive. The Son of God who stands at the center of the universe is risen. So when we gather together, it is in the presence of a living Lord. When in private we sit down to pray, we pray in the name of a risen Saviour. When we go about during the week and do whatever it is that you do during the week, I move numbers from one column to another, we go about our daily business with the ever-present Jesus Christ, risen to life, living forever. It's all right, isn't it? The Apostle Paul wrote, Since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. That is what we are celebrating. Jesus has passed through death, come out the other side. If death comes looking for him again, he will say, Been there, done that be off with you. Death has no more hold on him, no more mastery over him. He is the one who has conquered death. And that is great news. That is great news. Let me um, just unpack a couple of the implications of Easter, a couple of things that, that I think it would be good for us to get our heads around. One is this, 
At the very centre of history is the empty tomb of Jesus. The scene that we've read about in Luke's Gospel is the turning point, the turning point of history. I have a um, very distinct and odd recollection of the moment um, the World Trade Center was attacked and the towers came down. I was walking in a country park um, and uh, somebody phoned me to say, are you watching TV? And I wasn't. Uh, but we got home and we did watch TV. And it was strange. We watched the same scene over and over again on constant replay for the rest of the day because that's all that was showing on any TV channel. What I remember most about that moment was I had never expected there to be a turning point during my lifetime. It kind of felt like history had settled down and, and was done with exciting stuff. Not that that was exciting, but, you know, no big things were going to happen anymore. And then suddenly, there was a turning point. The world had changed. It was different. But that is as nothing compared to the turning points that we read about. The, the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ is the hinge upon which history turns. It is the very centre of history. And because the empty tomb of Jesus stands at the centre of history, above and throughout and behind all of history stands the living, risen Lord Jesus Christ. One of the issues with um, looking at the world is that if we're honest... So much of it looks out of control. So much of it looks random or messed up. You wouldn't look at this world necessarily and say, Jesus is in control. But he is. And the proof that we have of it is the empty tomb. He is not dead but living. He is the Lord. He is not in the tomb. He is on the throne of the universe. He is the one it is all about. All of it. And one day we will see that. One day we will see that the risen Lord Jesus was the one who held all things together for all time. And we will see that all of the stuff that happened the good stuff and the bad stuff, the light threads and the dark, is woven together into a tapestry that tells the glory of the risen Christ. And we will see it with our eyes. We don't see it now. The dark stuff is dark. It is bad. It is evil. But we will see that just as he conquered death and made it his servant, so the Lord Jesus will take all of the strands of history, good and bad, and weave them together into a beautiful pattern that tells of his glory and of his salvation and of the life that he offers to creation. He is Lord. He is glorious. He is exalted in his everlasting life. There is nothing whatsoever 
that we can do on Easter Sunday morning that would be more appropriate than just to adore the Lord Jesus Christ. That is one way in which these women in our passage had the right idea. They would go to honour him. Everybody else had scorned him. His disciples had left him. But they would go to honour him. The only thing they had wrong, and let's face it, it's, it's a big one, is that they thought they were honouring a corpse. How much more joyful, how much better to honour the Jesus who is alive and who reigns. Yes? History is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the empty tomb proves it. For those of you uh, perhaps who aren't convinced, for whom this is news, or at least not something that you're prepared to accept, the empty tomb of Jesus is a fact of history. How you interpret that, that is the key question. Whether you will accept the word that these two angels, if that is who they are, bring to the women, saying, he is not here, he is risen. That is the question. You can try, if you like, to get behind the question Ask questions about whether the tomb was really empty. Let me tell you that everybody who has seriously undertaken that quest has come back saying it was empty. That is not the question. The question is, what happened to that body? And the angels say, he is not here. He is risen. He is risen. And I genuinely don't believe there's any other way to explain what has happened. Any other way to explain where the body has gone. Any other way to explain how, by um, just a few chapters later on in Luke's account, assuming that we can run on from the end of Luke into the book of Acts, which we can, the disciples are transformed into joyful proclaimers of the living Lord. How do you explain that? How do you get from the empty tomb, to Pentecost, <coughs> unless he is risen, unless he is alive, as he said he would be. There are grand historical implications of the Easter message, and there are deep personal implications of the Easter message. For each of us, personally, death no longer needs to be the end of the story. He is risen. And because Jesus is risen, we also look forward to resurrection life. I don't want to minimize death. We all of us probably have some familiarity with death. Let's not talk it down. It is a terrible and a powerful thing. It's not for nothing that the Bible describes it as the last enemy, the very last thing that will stand against us. Let's not minimize death. Friday and Saturday were about 
the power and the horror and the finality of death. But this is Sunday morning. This is Sunday morning. And death is beaten. Nobody, nobody else ever has taken on death and won. When we read stories about people who who rally from terrible illnesses, what is it but a rearguard action, a holding back of the tide of death? Nobody has taken it on and won. Nobody ever until the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody has ever gone into death's own realm and beaten death in the grave. People have staved it off. People have delayed it, but nobody has conquered it except for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has, because this is Easter Sunday morning, and he is not amongst the dead. He is living. He has risen as he said he would, and because he is risen, we too can look forward with hope. Death will catch up with us. It will take us. But for us now, if we are trusting in Jesus, it is a beaten enemy. A beaten enemy. And as we step into the river of death, we can know that we will walk out the other side into the glorious presence of our Lord Jesus, who will smile at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is what we are living for. And that is Easter. He was not in the tomb. They could not anoint his body. And because they could not anoint his body, they will, with us, lift up eternal praises to him in resurrection bodies, glorified, purified from all of our weaknesses, in the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. He says it himself. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, they shall live. They shall live. How will we react this morning? The reactions in our passage are frankly not encouraging. The women are confused, go back and tell their story. They are disbelieved. Uh, Their words seem like nonsense, like an idle tale. Well, that's a thoroughly, thoroughly rational and sensible reaction. Thoroughly sensible. Somebody came to me with similar news. I dare say that I'd react in the same way. And we must remember, and I don't wish to labour the point, they were women. I want to qualify that. And in that culture, their testimony did not bear much weight. They're talking nonsense. The disciples disbelieved. Peter was curious, curious enough to go to the tomb. He looked in, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now the women reported 
the words of the angels. The disciples had just been reminded that Jesus had said, the Son of Man must die and be raised again on the third day. Peter went to the tomb, looked in, and wondered what had happened. I wonder what's happened. The reactions we meet in our passage are not encouraging. Honestly, they're the natural reactions of all of us. I think at several levels we disbelieve. Partly it's just the sensible rationalist in us. We know this stuff doesn't happen. Sure, unless God, unless God, if God is involved. Partly, particularly if, like me, you're a a, a half-empty person. Not that I'm half-empty, you know, a glass-half-empty person. It all seems a bit too good. Could such good news possibly actually be true? I find it hard to put a pessimistic spin on it, therefore I disbelieve it. What happens as as Luke 24 goes on is that the risen Jesus himself crashes through both the good sense and the inherent cynicism of the disciples. He meets them and they are forced to recognize So that is what has happened. He is alive again. We have their testimony. We have the fact of the empty tomb. What will we do with it? We're invited to do two things. To trust him. To say, If you have gone through and come out the other side, I will trust you with my life. To whom else can I entrust my life? He has the words of eternal life. And we're invited to adore him. To praise him. And that means more, not less, but more than our praise and prayers this morning. It means all of life poured out as worship to the risen King. It means tomorrow. Tomorrow is not too bad, it's a bank holiday. It means Tuesday, back to work. Worship, praise. And it means testimony. We have heard the good news. We have something to tell people which is great. Really great. What shoddy vocabulary we have to describe this. He is risen. It changes everything for the world, for history, for me and for you. Let's follow him.
follow him, not his living legacy, but him himself, the living God. And let's worship him with all that we have. Let's pray together. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are alive, that you are reigning on your Father's throne. We bless you for the good news that we have heard, that death is beaten, that sin is conquered, that we can be with your Father as friends because of your sacrifice, because of your resurrection. We adore you, we praise you. We entrust ourselves to you. And we ask that through this week, you would take our lives as spiritual worship to you. Enable us to live in the light of Easter. Enable us to testify to your resurrection. And give us joy in believing. Our joy, our joy leaks out of us so quickly and is overwhelmed so easily by the concerns of life. Help us to rejoice in your empty tomb, in your victory, to your glory. Amen.